Coming up on this week's show, we go on vacation and fall in love at the Joy Universe theme park with Louisa Masters. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 207 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to Ida for upping their contribution to the new $8 level and becoming our first transcript producer. Shoutouts also to Eileen for increasing support to the transcript producer level and to Callie and Rhonda for upping their pledges this week, too. Plus, we welcome Steve, who joined the ranks of transcript producers. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a fantastic week filled with lots of great books and lots of reading. Uh, We certainly have been busy. Uh, I've been reading lots of books. We're going to be talking about that in just a second. But Jeff has been working on a book. Yes, I am. 10,000 words. I crossed the 10,000 word mark this week on the new hockey romance that I'm working on. And it's always... I love crossing that first like milestone of 10,000 words, and that's like 20% of this 50K-ish romance, so I'm very pleased to have been kicking along to that speed of writing this week. And uh, we've also watched the new show on Netflix. We, we checked out something called The Order. Right now, we're sort of in that in-between time. All of the summer shows have ended, and we're kind of waiting for the fall shows to premiere. So we decided to partake of this particular paranormal drama <laughs> that was on Netflix. Um, if you are a fan of Paranormal Academy of Books, this is going to be the show for you. It's about a guy who goes to a mysterious school and he gets indoctrinated into the Order, uh, which is basically a big old wacky coven of witches. Uh, also, oops, he also becomes a werewolf in the process as well. Um, it's lots of fun. It's kind of wacky. Um, it's also um, very violent, uh, and for a Canadian show, they curse an awful lot, which I thought was pretty awesome. They really do, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of cursing going on in this show. I wonder what network it was on. It had to have been Canadian cable. I have no, possibly, maybe, maybe. So if if that sounds appealing to you, uh, if you need. Since we're headed into the Halloween season, we think the order might be just the ticket. Hi. I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. 
So we do have a number of books to talk about this week, and I'm going to kick it off with uh, another Cat Sebastian book. I loved Cat's uh, It Takes Two to Tumble so much, I went directly to the next book in the Seducing the Sedgwick series with A Gentleman Never Keeps Score. And as much as I adored Ben and Philip's book, the story of Hartley and Sam got to my heart even more. Now, we met Hartley in the first book as a scandal from his past was revealed that rocked his family. This book picks up shortly after the event in the first, and we find Hartley ostracized by London society folk to the degree that even his servants are quitting. One night, someone breaks into the house, and it turns out it's Sam Fox wanting to recover a revealing painting on behalf of his best friend Kate, who is soon to marry Sam's brother. Sam doesn't want that painting kind of hanging over her head, but while he doesn't find that painting, he does discover Hartley. And even as they're planning how to recover this artwork, because it turns out Hartley is also the subject of one of these scandalous paintings, the two men find a very unexpected spark flare up between them. Now, great romances often have characters who are extremely different from each other, and this one definitely does. We've got Hartley, who came from humble upbringings, found his way into London society, and then lost it all in disgrace. Sam is a former boxer who now runs a pub that caters to London's black population to give them a place to be away from the often racist society. Sam also helps and looks out for those in his community who need it. Neither of these proud men thought they'd need each other, They're so different and in their own ways broken, and they can't quite figure out even how to behave around each other. They each have these blind spots in some cases on how society would expect them to behave because of the race and class differences. And of course, then there's the whole inappropriateness of this era of men liking men. Hartley eventually agrees to help Sam recover the painting of Kate. And he, because he more than understands what happens if impropriety gets around and how it destroys reputations. By the time they figured out their plan, their banter and behavior becomes completely adorable. These guys are smitten with each other, and they each want to make sure the other is happy. These intimate moments between Hartley and Sam are so powerful. Hartley has issues being touched by men because of his treatment as a teenager, and Sam takes care to make sure that Hartley is able to enjoy himself without fear. It's, it's just really so sweet. And, and so touching between these two. Um, sometimes sex scenes and romances are just like, okay, let's move on to the story. But this just, it was so integrated into the story. It was just wonderful. Now, along with Sam and Hartley, there's a delightful array of friends here. We don't see much of Ben in this book, but he does turn up once. We see a lot of Hartley's other brother, Will, though, who lives a bit of a bohemian lifestyle. He's trying to encourage Hartley to get back out into the world. Sam's brother Nick is similarly a strong influence on Sam, trying to make it so that Sam's not always at the pub. Hartley's servants, 18-year-old Alf, and then later a young and pregnant Sadie, who was rescued from the streets by Alf, play a huge role in getting Hartley out of his self-imposed exile. And saving the very best for last, Kate. I loved her so, so much. She's a fiercely strong woman, and I loved everything about her. She's caring when she needs to be, but she won't hesitate to tell Sam and Hartley exactly what they need to hear to get off their high horses and do what they should. Everyone should have a Kate in their life. Now, so much goes on as you get into the last quarter of this book. Hartley and Sam simply can't figure out how to be together as all kinds of bad things start to happen around them. In true romance form, however, pieces are picked up, 
and barriers are cleared for the lovers. Kat puts Hartley and Sam's lives together in such a wonderful way. She wraps up all the friends really well, too, and this becomes one of the best examples of found family coming together ever. And wow, Joel Leslie. Joel always does tremendous work, but here the emotional punch packed into Hartley and Sam as they reveal their inner demons, navigate tender moments, and ultimately find peace together was outstanding. He delivers more excellence with the friends, especially Kate and Alf. This is one of those books where the voice work adds a great nuance to the fantastic story that was already on the page. If audio is your thing, I can't recommend it enough for this series. So you should definitely pick up Seducing the Sedgwick series from Cat Sebastian. They're both great, but A Gentleman Never Keeps Score really takes the lead as my favorite in the series. Yeah, it's no secret we adore Cat Sebastian, and uh, she's always at the top of our historical reading list. Yeah, I think this is going to be another one that you're going to have to find a way to work into your list, like the other one that I stole from you last week. Well, the book that I read this week is The Amorous Attorney by Frank Butterfield. The Amorous Attorney picks up a few days after the events of The Unexpected Heiress, which was the first book in the Nick Williams mystery series. I was completely in love with that one. And uh, spoiler, I completely love this second book as well. Eager to get his new business venture off the ground, Nick needs the services of his lawyer friend Jeffrey Klein, who's gone missing. Presumably, he's too busy canoodling with Taylor Wells, his movie star boyfriend. And at the request of the foul-mouthed fixer at MGM, Nick and his friends head to L.A. and quickly find Jeffrey shacked up with his bow at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Jeffrey wants to run away with the handsome hunk, but Nick makes sure he understands that what a genuinely terrible idea that is. And heartbroken, Jeffrey returns to San Francisco with Nick and Taylor goes back to work. One day later, the news hits the gossip columns that Taylor is engaged to his co-star and up-and-coming Hollywood ingenue, uh, but then Taylor promptly goes missing again. So Nick, his boyfriend Carter, and a whole like parcel of their friends and colleagues head south of the border to Ensenada, where they find Taylor and Jeffrey in a hotel on the Mexican Riviera. Jeffrey is ready to chuck everything for the man he loves, but After a few days, he comes to realize that he and Taylor might not have what it takes to make it in the long run. That evening, um, in a very Agatha Christie turn of events, everyone gathers together, including Taylor's fiancé, Rhonda, who also has her girlfriend in tow. Uh, Needless to say, uh, dinner doesn't go quite as expected. Jeffrey gets sloshed and drunkenly muses about what might have been if things hadn't ended so badly with Nick. Uh, who in turn is harassed by Don Maldonado, a corrupt local politico who is convinced that millionaire Nick wants to buy the hotel. The very next morning, Nick and Carter are awakened by a gunshot. They find Taylor dead, and Jeffrey is nowhere to be found. Now the handsome and flirtatious Captain Esparza takes statements from the hotel guest, but it's clear that he has his eyes set on both Nick and Carter, inviting them to his home later that evening. When they arrive at the uh, uh, high-tone soiree, they are shocked to find uh, what must be every gay man within a 50-mile radius in attendance. The very strange evening ends without any clues as to who killed Taylor. Uh, Esparza eventually questions Nick and then later sequesters him along with Carter and the rest of their friends on a yacht. And they're busy enjoying their detainment when the plot involving Esparza, Maldonado, and some others come to light. It's all a scheme to gain some local political power, and Nick uses his quick wits to defuse the situation, but uh, it also helps that Carter is an excellent shot. 
Jeffrey is found and cleared of all wrongdoing, while Taylor's real killer faces karmic justice. Our heroes return to the city by the bay, ready to face the next chapter in their lives. Now, author Frank Butterfield does a really wonderful job with this second book in the Nick Williams series. Um, It builds on the previous installment, telling us more about the lives of the characters that we're getting to know and love, while showing us the bond that's beginning to form between the large cast of genuinely intriguing characters. We get to know Nick and Carter even more this time around, and it's impossible not to root for this pair of mystery-solving lovebirds. They're seriously nuts about one another, and I like the little moments between them that show how two men in a committed relationship in the 1950s continue to grow and evolve together. It's also cute how in this installment, they're trying out, calling one another husband, uh, which is pretty progressive considering the time in which they're living. Um, There might have even been a ring involved in one of the quieter moments in The Amorous Attorney. I'd like to quickly mention that I also enjoy the author notes that Butterfield includes at the end of each novel, explaining what's based on fact or what's fictional, and all of the research he did into the specific time and events depicted in each specific book. Guys, I just really liked this installment of The Adventures of Nick Williams, and I'm looking forward to what he and his friends come up with in the future. I love how big that cast was. It it almost reminds me of a movie of that era where you'd have like all these people running around in the story. That's really cool. Now, you've got another book for us. Yeah. Also, this past week, I read a book with a hint of mystery. Uh, I partook of I've Got This by Louisa Masters. Um, she's going to be coming up in a few minutes, and we're going to be talking about this book in a little more detail. I'm so excited for this book. Tell us all about it. Derek Breyer is very good at what he does, and he loves his job and is one of the key managing directors at the sprawling theme park complex Joy Universe. But he's actually having one of the worst Mondays of his entire career. Not only does he have to deal with a grisly murder at one of his resort hotels, but half of his performers at the main theme park are down with a severe case of food poisoning. Now, Trav Jones, who is an actor, singer, and dancer who is part of a touring production that is playing one of the Joyville theaters, gets the call to come in and work at the theme park. Quadruple pay for a couple of days' work? He's like, eh, sure, why not? So (laughs) Derek comes to the rehearsal hall to personally thank the performers for stepping in on such short notice. Trav is immediately attracted to Derek, but is also put off by his his cocky bravado and take-charge attitude. Derek is immediately attracted to Trav, but is thrown for a loop when Trav doesn't seem swayed by his charms. He's aloof, a little standoffish. Uh, It's like, what's that about? Everyone loves Derek. (laughs) While putting out fires at Joy Universe, Derek can't stop thinking about Trav. So he does some digging and finds out that Trav is the most famous Broadway performer that no one has ever heard of. Critics and audience like seem to like adore him, but he never takes a lead role and seems unwilling to take his career to the next level. After a few days, things calm down and Derek takes the opportunity to go see Trav in his show. Derek is mesmerized by his performance and afterwards he goes backstage to congratulate the cast and chat up Trav. Um, Derek's personal assistant, who probably knows Derek better than he knows himself, mentions that Trav is volunteering at a local community theater and needs some reliable transportation. So Derek offers Trav his old car, which he has yet to sell. They go out to dinner, and Derek learns that the reason Trav was so uncomfortable when they first met was that he reminded Trav of the alpha male jocks who used to torment him in school. 
Uh, they talk and they get to know one another during dinner. Derek showing Trav that there's a real person underneath the golden boy persona he projects to the rest of the world. Now, there's definite chemistry between them, and a sizzling goodnight kiss proves to be an auspicious start to a whirlwind summer fling. Things get serious rather quickly, and their relationship is soon tested when, through a strange set of circumstances, Trav is forced to go on in his show in the lead role. And Derek passes the boyfriend test with flying colors, instilling confidence in Trav, calming his anxiety, uh, ensuring him that he has more than enough talent to pull this off, and generally being awesome by supporting the man that he loves in every conceivable way. The next test comes in the guise of the sociopath who murdered her husband at Joy Universe. She's spinning a wildly improbable conspiracy theory to shift blame and get her off the hook, by disparaging the theme park and Derek specifically. It's a total PR nightmare and Derek is at the center of the storm. Trav is actually furious that Derek seems intent on handling it all himself, unwilling to share the burden. But Derek eventually comes to realize that there are in fact many people in his life who genuinely care about him, including Trav and the entire team at Joy Universe. Some shrewd legal moves from the company and Derek's expert handling of the challenging situation repairs the momentary damage to the park's reputation and cements Derek's position within the company. But that leaves the situation with Trav. With the current run of his show now over, it seems like the only option for Trav is to return to work in New York City. But with a uh, frankly bold and audacious new plan from the team at Joy Universe, there might just be a way for Derek and Trav to stay together and achieve their perfect fairy tale happily ever after. Guys, to put it simply, I think everything about this book is perfectly swoon-worthy. I loved Derek and Trav. Their chemistry and heat is sweet and it's genuine. And not only were the characters wonderful, but I thought Louisa Masters really brought this story to life with the unique worlds that our characters were a part of, you know, careers in the theater and theme park and hospitality. It was all so much fun and so interesting. It's clear that she thought things through in regards to the fictional world of Joy Universe, and the glimpses that we get behind the scenes were intriguing and fun, but it's not like bogged down in too much detail. There's not like world-building overkill or info dumps, things like that. This was this is what I thought was so funny. Derek and his assistant do a lot of walk-and-talk scenes, like on West Wing. We all remember that. <laughs> Because um, it's a really fun and active way to get across a lot of information without the characters having to sit and spout a lot of exposition. Right. They don't have to sit across the desk or they don't have to have dinner or lunch or something. They can just walk and talk, which was the brilliance of the West Wing so often. Yeah. Derek was a professional. And he was always on the move. I've Got This is a really terrific and super sweet romance with, uh, gosh, they're to die for heroes in a wonderfully unique setting. I really recommend it. Oh, it sounds so delightful. And we'll, of course, as, as you mentioned, hear more from Louisa in just a moment. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else we talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 207 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. 
So now we're going to talk even more about Joy Universe. Uh, we got to talk to Louisa Masters about this book as well as a book that she released earlier this year. Louisa, welcome to the podcast. We are so happy to have you here. Hi, guys. I'm so thrilled to be here. And it's release week for you. You've got it is. A new I'm book. so busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a new book coming out tomorrow. That's September 24th, and it's called I've Got This, which is a great title, by the way. I feel like it should have an exclamation point almost. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. Tell us all about it. Well, to start with, that title drove me insane. I'm useless at titles. It took me literally weeks to come up with that. So I've got this is actually, it's set in a fictional um, theme park complex called Joy Universe. This is my first book in the Joy the Joy Universe series. Um, and by theme park complex, I mean that we're talking, if you've been to Disney World, you probably understand the concept. It's four theme parks, about 20 hotels, sort of a village for entertainment and dining and, and all the rest of it. Um, and the book opens with Derek, who is the assistant, one of the assistant directors at the, at the complex at Joy Universe. Um, and he's having a very bad morning. Um, he comes to work on a Monday morning and finds that there's been a very grisly murder in one of the hotels he's responsible for. And then as soon as he's handed that over to the police, he finds out that over 100 of his staff have gone down with food poisoning. So Derek is not having a good day. <laughs> um, and that's the day that he meets Trav. And Trav is a visiting um, Broadway performer. He's on tour with his show for a season at Joy Universe. Um, and it's very, very unfortunate, but Derek rubs Trav up the wrong way. So their first meeting is not a good one. And their second meeting is not a good one. <laughs> um, the third meeting does get a little bit better. Um, it, look, the book is, is, it's not a murder book. I suppose I should say that right up front because I have had people say, oh, look, is it a murder mystery? Is it amateur sleuth? And it's really, really not. It's um, mostly about them kind of coming to terms with, with their own internalised angst, um, issues that they've had in the past that they have just been ignoring for a long, long time, and how that relates to each other and then building a relationship. And then just when you think that everything is sort of settled and they're ready for a happily ever after, that murder does come back to bite them in the bum. So <laughs> the aftermath of that does kind of cause problems for Derek at work and, and it brings up a lot of personal issues for him as well. It's not an angsty book. I don't think I've ever written an angsty book, but it will leave you feeling really, really good. And I'm really, really excited about this one. It's a little bit different for me. I think the setting is really fascinating. I've always been interested in um, the, the magic of illusion or the artifice of things like Disneyland and Disney World. What made you decide to set a love story in a, a theme park? Um... The short answer to that is that I went to Disney World. <laughs> um, so in 2017, I made, it's a very long trip from Melbourne where I am to the US. So it's 15 hours just to get to LA. And then I went to Romantic Times in Atlanta in 2017. And that's another, what, four and a half hours on top of that. So I don't like to keep it short when I make that trip. <laughs> so I added another five days and went down to Disney World. And if you've been there, you I hope it's not just me that feels this way. But when I was there... Um, I felt very much like I was in a completely different world. I felt cut off, even though Orlando is right there. It felt very much like I was in this insular little society. And I started thinking about things like how much effort would it take to run this? It's like a little mini country. And, and look how smoothly the staff are always leaping in to solve things. And what would happen? What would happen if? <laughs> and who's responsible for? And then it's like, well, 
you hear about people being proposed to and meeting people at theme parks and and like randomly running into people in a crowd and I thought oh that could work it's like now let's make it more interesting let's sort of have someone coming in and part of this um I think is is influenced by the setting I've put Joy Universe in the middle of nowhere and so I go let's take somebody from the outside and bring them into this very isolated little world and then have somebody who's an intrinsic sort of support for this world and then just cause problems for them both so it was I, I just loved it was very much um for me at Disney a very I don't even know what word I want to use here. It was a very, I suppose, I'm going to say interesting. It's not right. But I felt like I discovered a lot being cut off by, from everything and sort of just being so involved in this little world. And it's like, well, this is like writing a fantasy novel but in a contemporary world because it's a completely different world but not. Mm-hmm. Does, the, does that make sense the at real all? World, just... The real world is just over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but nobody ever leaves. No one ever. I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I didn't set foot outside the doors, the gates, until after my five days were over. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. once you're there, you you really don't have to leave. They've got the buses to take you around the parks and the hotels. and Exactly. It's just, and I mean, I, there's a TV, there's TV, but who watches TV when you're at Disney? And uh, I was on Facebook to upload photos and maybe do a quick skim while I was eating. But other than that, I don't think I spoke to anybody outside of Disney the whole time I was there. <laughs> where did you set Joy Universe? Like, where is it in the... Yeah, it's in southern Georgia. Okay. Um, I'm very, very vague about exactly where because, uh, look, I'm going to be completely honest, part of my, my decision for choosing the setting, there were actual legitimate reason, plot reasons for choosing this setting, but also because I was lazy and didn't want to do the research on a major city to hook it up to. So it's, that's why I've been very, very vague. I sort of said southern Georgia because I like the weather there and I think that it's suitable for a year-round kind of theme park. But... I haven't sort of pinned it down very much more than that. <laughs> that's that's fair. Yeah. Did did you have to do a lot of research? There's part of me that imagines this had to be a lot of fun coming up with your own theme park. I envisioned almost playing Sims to build <laughs> yeah. your theme park a little bit. <laughs> it, look, it, I had so much fun with it. I mean, I came back from Disney and the idea was sort of percolating there, but I didn't actually do anything with it for quite some time. And then I got on the website. And if you get on the Disney World website, there's maps and there's lists and there's all sorts of interactive things that you can look into. So I had a lot of playtime with that. And then I thought, well, I don't really want it to be exactly the same. So I did also um, sort of let, just let my imagination run wild a little bit. I have a hand-drawn map somewhere, but my my art history, my artist artistic skills are really really poor so there's no way no one's ever everyone anyone is ever going to see that but one day i may have somebody with a little bit more skills sort of reinterpret it now i've got this is the first proposed book in this uh, joy universe series what what are your plans for the future so at the moment it's a three book series is the plan um the second book is written it's going through revisions right now. I'm going through and replacing all of my question marks and weird symbols with actual words. <laughs> um, so that should be that should be edited and um, hopefully released early next year sometime. I don't know exactly when. Um, and that's it, once you've read the book, you'll meet Dimmy, who is Derek's assistant. And the whole book, Derek is talking about how Dimmy um, has outgrown his role and he needs a promotion. And, and the second book is where he gets that promotion. But I can't tell you much more than that because it does spoil the ending of, of I've Got This. 
So the second book is Jimmy's, um, and the set, the third book, which is not yet written, um, but I, that I hope to release in the future, <laughs> um, is you'll also meet one of the main characters for that book in I've Got This. Um, it's Grant, who is a, another assistant director at JU and a friend of Derek's. So, yeah, it's at the moment the plan is for three books, um, but the, the benefit, I suppose, of um, creating my own little world is that there's so much potential the theme park, the, the complex itself has like a satellite village that's been, or town, that's been created for all the staff to sort of live in and to, and that's just grown um, a lot since it was first built. So there's also like spin-off series that are possible. So I don't know exactly, but the plan is for three books. My mind immediately went to the idea of like, Joy Universe Europe, and Joy Universe Australia, and Joy Universe China. And... Uh, look, I mean, hey. <laughs> Originally, I did think about setting it in Australia because, I mean, I love reading books that are set in Australia. I love seeing um, the things that are so familiar to me. In the end, I decided not to because the population here is just not sufficient to support that kind of complex. And it's so far that to bring in the tourists from elsewhere is a lot more difficult. So I thought that I'd kind of test the waters with one in the US first. And I mean, hey, who knows what the future holds? Disney expansion plans abound. Mm. And I I envision nice merchandise, too, and swag to go with Joy Universe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, earlier this summer, you released a workplace novella called Out of the Office. What's going on with that one? Well, I, funnily enough, I'm one of those people that firmly believes that workplace romances usually don't work out. Um, And this year I've written three of them. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, so Out of the Office is actually um, a story that's quite near and dear to me. I used to be a resource manager at a global telecommunications company. And this book is basically about a resource manager at a global telecommunications company. So Duncan is um, he's in his early 40s. He's achieved career utopia. He's kind of he's at the top of his career post. All his goals have been met and he's bored out of his mind because it's so much more fun to be out there doing the actual resourcing than it is to sit behind the desk and direct the the team. (laughs) So when um, a friend of his who has the same position in a different company, um, a rival company, contacts him and says, hey, someone here is really stuffed up. I need someone to fix it. I want that to be you. He's like, yes, okay, let me throw in my permanent full-time great job and take a two-year temp contract. So he... um, his biggest hurdle in this new job is Paul Hanks. And Paul is a project manager who's looking after a massive part of the project. This book is set in Australia because that's the, the industry, the part of the industry that I'm most familiar with. Um, so Paul is actually responsible for literally half the continent, the rollout of the network. And the resource manager that was running the project before Duncan really screwed him around. So he's now not willing to talk to anybody in the team. And Duncan's like, right, I know that I can get this project back on track. I can help this all happen. If only I can get him to listen to me. But there's like... No returned calls, ignored emails, like, oh, whoops, sorry, we're breaking up kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so Dunk decides, well, that's it. I'm just going to have to leave the office and, and head across the country and confront him face to face. And that's what he does. Um, it's it, Look, it's only a short one. It's 18K, but I had so much fun writing it. And I really, really hope that nobody I ever used to work with reads it. <laughs> Look, I've taken liberties with reality, but there are also some kind of reimagined events that actually did happen that appear in the book. So, 
based on true life stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> so what got you into writing romance? Oh, I've always been about the romance. Um, I started reading them very young, but even before I started reading romance novels, I was always really, the books that I liked the best were the ones that had a romantic plot or subplot or strong romantic thread. So I've always, like for that, it's always been romance, romance, romance. And I loved writing short stories as a kid. I think when I was about 11 or 12, I wrote a couple of really, really terrible short plays that I made my brother and my cousins act out with me. We did one <laughs> at Christmas and one at Easter. I don't think they've forgiven me. There are still videos floating around. That I, made, I, I, made, I literally made my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my parents all come and watch us. I was a very bossy child. <laughs> <laughs> And they were truly terrible. Um, but I, it's just little things that I always used to write. And so when the time came that I sort of said to myself, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this. I need to write something. Like you can't just think about writing. You have to actually write it. Um, it was always going to be romance. There was never any other option. Your bio does mention that you started reading romance earlier than your mother thought you should. Yeah. How, how old are we talking here? I was 11. Oh, that's not so, bad at all. <laughs> So I, the first one I ever read was um, a Mills and Boone, uh, a Harlequin, um, that I snuck off the shelf um, at my grandmother's house. And it was the only one there, and I'm pretty sure it belonged to my aunt from before she left, left home and got married. So this, this is a book from the 70s, early 70s, I think. And thinking back on it, I've reread it as an adult, and it is wildly racist and wildly sexist, and the prose is so purple that even as an adult, I'm not sure if they got beyond kissing or not, because it was just all rainbows and sparkles and explosions and whirling thingamabobs and all of that. Um, so it, it was one of those, those really, really 70s Harlequin books, but it was my gateway drug, basically. Um, and I sort of, from there, I, my mum had a box of them in a cupboard from when, um, before she'd gone back to work. Um, so I sort of started sneaking those. And then the next year I started high school because um, we do high school from ages 12 to 17. Um, and across the street from my, my school was a public library in, in our public library network. Um, when I say across the street, it was a six lane road. Um, so it wasn't an easy street to cross. Across the highway. I had it timed because I was still 12 at this stage, 12, 13. And if I missed the bus, people worried. So I had it timed. I got out on spot on the bell. I had to get across that street into the library, borrow a book, back across the street to the bus stop. I had 12 minute window. So, and I was just, it was, I got it down to an art form and the librarian, um, it got to recognize me. He was amazing. His name was Peter. I'll never forget him because after a while he realized that I was in a rush. And if there was a line at the counter, it meant I had to abandon my books and just go. So he started, um, once he got to know what I liked to read, he started putting books aside and checking them out under my card so that when I came in, I just had to grab the books and go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started with the Harlequins, um, and then historical romance. So you Joanna Lindsay's, Julie Garwood, I think Julia Quinn had just started writing around then. Uh, Connie Mason was for the American Westerns. All that kind of thing. And once I got a little bit older, I discovered the rest. That's awesome. And I particularly like Peter the Librarian. Oh, he was awesome. Seriously, if I, if I knew what his surname was, I would track him down today just to say thank you. He was just amazing. For years he did that. 
That's like the early version of mobile ordering, just to have your order ready to go when you get there so you can be back on your way. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to romance, you write both MM and MF. Do you have a preference for uh, what type of romance that you write, or is it just sort of like what, whatever the muse uh, dictates that you, you tackle next? It's whatever the muse dictates, pretty much. Um, I, at the moment, my preference is leaning strongly towards MM, and it's MM contemporary. Um, I have I started out writing MF, and I think that was because my first book especially is quite, in many ways, autobiographical, except not. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of elements of me in that book, and it felt easier to write what I knew the most, which was me. Um, and um, so coming forward from that, I, as I sort of started exploring myself as a writer more, I got a little bit more creative, and um, and I love reading MM so much. It's it's most of what I read, and so it sort of felt very natural to transition into that um, as an author. So it's. I still do write the occasional MF and I um, I had one, a short, shorter story come out earlier this year and I've got one which is part of my Billionaires series coming next year. Um, but for the most part at the moment I see what my path being um, MM with the occasional MF thrown in when, when the muse won't leave me alone. What attracts you to MM so much as both the reader and the author? I wish there was a really simple answer for that. Um, the first the first time I ever read anything with a, um, an MM sort of romantic subplot, I was, I think, 17 years old, and it was, I don't know if I pronounce her name correctly, so please, please forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was Lynn Flewelling's Night Runner series, um, which, I mean, I was reading a lot of fantasy then as well, and it, I, I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic high school. So the nuns were, they tried to be open-minded, but they really weren't. Um, so we really just didn't get exposed to anything beyond what they saw as, as normal in their insular world. So for me, it was quite an eye-opening experience to see this. And um, and I, I, I was curious about it and I wanted to read more. So I started um, actually searching out. At the time, I, I didn't really know that MM romance existed. And I think this is back in the late 90s. I think it was a little bit more limited to find than it is today. Um, so I was looking mostly at fantasy books with MM and then MFF um, subplots and um, sub-romances. Um, and it, it, there, I don't know that there's anything in particular that I can say attracts me to it. It's just another another branch, I suppose, on the romance tree that, that I particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now, you briefly mentioned the Billionaire series, and those who've listened to the show before know I was absolutely bonkers <laughs> in love with uh, Bunny and the Billionaire and the uh, Athlete and the Aristocrat. Those books are absolutely amazing. When Thank it come, you. When it comes to a Louisa Masters book, do you think there's a certain feel or a certain trope that you like to return to again and again? Um, I had a reviewer called The Bunny and the Billionaire's Crack, which I interpreted as it be, and this is my interpretation, as it being something that makes you feel so, so good. Um, and I love that. And that's what I really want to adopt as, I suppose, my brand. I want books that make people feel good. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what I've been injecting to each story. <laughs> I'm sure that if I'm wrong, someone is eventually going to correct me, but I, that's basically how I see my my recurring 
sort of theme in every book is is just a heartwarming story that makes you feel good. You finish the book, you know that it's going to end well, um, even if maybe you're not sure how they get there. It's just definitely going to be a happy ending. Um, and that's yeah. At the moment, I'm sort of doing that in contemporary novels, but I'm I'd really like to write a fantasy one day. We'll see how that goes. So fantasy is the the book that you really want to get to at some point. Uh, I think so. I, I'm not sure if it's what I want to. I don't want to turn my career into. If I just want to write that one fantasy novel just to give it a go. I've got a few that have been started and kind of abandoned, and a few ideas. Um, it's just a matter of getting into the right headspace, and I think that's the case with every book. You have to be in the right headspace for that book at that time. Um, and the out, out of the office is actually a great example of what happens when I'm not in the right headspace to write another book, um, because I sort of left one half finished because this. It wasn't working for me. Um, and then out of the office just came, I wrote that in like a week. So it just happens that way. What's your general process? Are you plotter, pantser, hybrid? Oh, I'm a total pantser. <laughs> <laughs> um, people have walked me through plotting for pantsers a million times and I'm just, it just does not work. <laughs> It starts off with, well, okay, this is the scene. I can see the first scene. It's perfect. It's fully visualised. I write it out. It's all good. And then it's like, okay, so what happens next? I have no idea. (laughs) And I actually worked out last year when I was beating myself up over it. The best thing for me to do is just put my fingers on the keyboard and type the next word. And it's the next word that's going to lead to the next sentence. It's going to lead to the next scene. Because if I finish a scene and finish up for the day and then start thinking, okay, well, what's, what's going to happen now tomorrow? I end up with nothing. And then I start beating myself. Oh, my God, I'm a terrible writer. How could I ever make a career out of this? <laughs> and, and the reason I ask that is because I think, to me, it always feels like fantasy requires more plotting because there's so yeah. much of the world building. And I kind of tied that back almost because you kind of built a world with Joy Universe having built the theme park and you've got the murder too. And I always feel like if there's a murder involved, there's more plotting because you have to know why that happened, how it happened, who did it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that's why fantasy hasn't worked for me yet because I'm just not at that whole plotting and build the world and write down all the details. Um, I think I said earlier that part of when I write a book, there's a lot of question marks left in there and other weird symbols that I then go back and find and replace. Um, And I think that when you're writing a fantasy novel, you have to have those details beforehand because they all tie back together into the plot. I mean, somebody who's written a brilliant fantasy novel may now be able to correct me and say, no, no, actually you don't. But that's how I've always felt it is. And and I think that's where my fantasy novels kind of get stuck because I just haven't got that level of of preparedness in place yet. So maybe one day um, I'll I'll kind of be ready to sit down and nut it all out in in a Bible and prepare it all, but that day is not today. <laughs> <laughs> now, as a, as a long-time romance reader, do you have favorite tropes, and do those connect to what you like to write? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think that when I started, because I, I started off with the, the Harlequin-type books, there's always been billionaires, obviously. Uh, Marriage of Convenience is always a big one. I wasn't a huge fan of The Unexpected Baby, but, hey, it comes up occasionally, not so much in MM. Um, unless you sort of want to branch off into MPreg. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to write what I like to read. I One day I would absolutely love to write an angsty book. Um, I love books that make me ugly cry. Not so much now because there's a lot going on and I'm, I don't have time to have book hangovers. <laughs> um, but um, 
but I have a goal that one day, one day I will try my hand at an angsty book. But so far it hasn't worked. I kind of think, okay, this book, I'm going to make it a little bit more conflict intense. And then I get to the point where that has to happen. It's like, oh, but they're also having so much fun and they're so in love. And why would I want to ruin that for them? So I don't think I have the killer instinct for an angsty book. You two are very much alike. I, yeah, I mean, in, in your trope likes and everything. Exactly the same way. I 100% agree. This explains why you're my new best friend. <laughs> so I have to know, do you like forced proximity? I do, yeah. See, yeah, you guys, yeah. new best friends right there. <laughs> now, despite the fact that I've Got This has just come out, we are very curious about what you have coming up next. Right. So I think I touched on that briefly. Um, Dimmy's book is next, so book two in the Joy Universe mm -hmm. world, which is coming early next year. I'm not sure exactly when, but I'm thinking probably March or April. There is also, um, we talked about my billionaire's books, um, Bunny and the Billionaire Athlete and the Aristocrat. There is a third book, and this is a book that people have asked me about. It's um, Danny and Malik's book. So it is MF, and that's the MF book that I was referring to earlier. Um, but I have been asked about it so much that I decided that I just had to write it. And it was a book that I've really, really enjoyed writing because, I mean, these two have been the sidekicks for two books now. You've really gotten to know them, and, mm -hmm. and they just had to have their story. So that one's coming um, also in the first half of next year. I'm not sure exactly when yet, but those two books are definitely going to be in the first half of next year. Um, the third Joy Universe book will either be late next year or early 2021. I haven't sort of written it yet, so we're not <laughs> sure. Um, and I've also got another one that is, oh, here's a trope for you, all right? The Master of the Estates Housekeeper. So that one's half written. Um, it kind of got, that's the one that got stopped for out of the office because the housekeeper does not want to be a housekeeper anymore. <laughs> He's got very d definite ideas about what his plans are going forward. And I have to try and work out how that's going to fit with, with what I've built so far. But that's one that's half done. And I'm hoping that that will also be out late next year. So next year you should have three books. Um, and I don't know, novellas tend to pop up every once in a while. So there might be a Christmas one maybe this year, and there should be at least one next year. Cool. Wow. Even maybe Christmas this year. Fantastic. Cool. It, it really depends on what happens now that I've finished um, Dimmy's book and I have to do the revisions. Once I'm done with those, if I feel like getting stuck back into another book, that's great. Um, but it might just be a, a palate cleansing new novella type time. So what's the best way for people to keep up with you online to, to know when all this stuff is on its way out? I, well, my newsletter... Um, goes to everybody who's um that has all the information about upcoming releases sales and all the rest of it so that's a good one and i that's um you can get to that through my website www.louisamasters.com or there's a direct link to subscribe it's bit.ly um forward slash subscribe louisa m with capital l capital m um i'm always on facebook though so if you really want to get in touch with me <laughs> come and find me on facebook um, my page there is facebook.com forward slash Louisa Masters author, or I have a group that I share with um, my bestie, Becca Seymour. If you haven't read her books and you've liked mine, then you really should read her books. Um, she's amazing. So that's Seymour Books with Masterful Men, um, with Seymour spelled S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. So come and join us there because we always have giveaways and, and other fun stuff going on. Cool. We will link up to all that good stuff in our show notes so people can find Excellent. it easily. Louisa, it has been so great talking to you. <laughs> Can't wait Thank to read you. these books. 
I'm very into the theme park idea. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Wish you all the luck with uh, with a joy universe, and look forward to seeing what's coming next. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I've had such a good time. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Louisa for hanging out and talking to us. I loved hearing so much of the behind-the-scenes stuff about the Joy Universe books. I'm looking forward to seeing how that series evolves as the future books come out. Yeah, I'm a total fan of Louisa. I've loved her books, and uh, it was wonderful getting a chance to sit down and talk to her. She's charming and funny and uh, very Australian, of course. (laughs) Uh, She's an utter delight. I highly recommend those books. Uh, Read them if you haven't yet. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, Just a reminder, Patreon is a great way for fans to engage with creators of all types and support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. We couldn't do this show every week without the help of our superfans on Patreon. The support of our community helps with production costs and ensures that the show is accessible to everyone. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our Patreon community members each and every month, simply go on over to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week in episode 208, we kick off our Coastal Magic featured author interviews with Katie Hawthorne. I'm looking so forward to hearing from Katie. She's a new-to-me author, and so learning all about her and what she likes about Coastal Magic is going to be awesome. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>